Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Nourish Circle podcast. I am Lori Short-Zamudio, registered dietitian and host of this show. I thank you for coming back and joining us today. I'd like to start off this episode with a land acknowledgement. I acknowledge that I and my family live, learn, and work on the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of Skugog Island First Nation. I commit to continually educating myself to the history and culture with humility and reverence while also respecting the relationship of the Mississaugas of Skugog Island First Nation have with this land as set out by the Williams Treaties. I'd like to thank you again for coming today for this amazing conversation that I'm about to have with Sumner Brooks. Sumner is a registered dietitian and eating disorder specialist who has been working as an outpatient counselor with clients of all levels of the disordered eating spectrum for over 10 years. Sumner is a founder of EDRD Pro, which focuses on supporting and educating fellow dietitians and nutrition professionals to integrate weight-inclusive, health-at-every-size-informed approaches into their practices. Sumner loves building relationships with people in and out of the eating disorder field to create resources and facilitate trainings for helping professionals, mainly eating disorder dietitians. So you might think that that is what I'm going to be talking with Sumner about today, which would be an amazing podcast, I think, anyways, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about the book that Sumner has co-authored with Amy Severson called How to Raise an Intuitive Eater, Raising the Next Generation with Food and Body Confidence. This book is about intuitive eating. It's a manifesto for parents to help them reject diet culture and raise the next generation to have a healthy relationship with food and their bodies. I was so excited to read this book. It, it's beautifully written. Um, I do get a little gushy in this podcast, I'm not going to lie, because I was just, it was so beautifully written and so real and so grounded. And the examples that both Sumner and Amy provide are just beautiful. And reading it, I just wanted to purchase this book in multiple copies and give it to everyone I know that having a child, going to parent a child who may be already parenting children. This is kind of what I've been waiting for, if I'm being totally honest. Something that puts all the things that we know about intuitive eating, all the things we know about um, health at every size, and how we can apply that to raising the next generation of kids. I would love to work myself out of a job in this area. I'm not going to lie. And I think this book that Sumner and Amy wrote um, can really help a lot of families dig under what is happening in their homes with regards to food and bodies. Um, so it's super exciting that we are able to listen to this conversation um, that I have with Sumner. Also, just for reference, I am going to be speaking to Amy later this year about this book as well. And Amy will be a return guest on the podcast. So be sure to check out her episode. Um, oh, I should have checked that number before I started talking. Um, earlier in the Nourish Circle history of the world. Um, so in the show notes, you're going to find some links to where to buy, purchase this book in Canada. Um, I don't know how credible my links are if I get them for outside of the country, but you can totally look up um, How to Raise an Intuitive Eater. 
It is um, pre-ordering now in Canada, and it will be available in Canada, anyways, on January 4th, 2022. There's a really wonderful forward by Elise Resch, and we actually get into that a little bit in our conversation today. I, again, I could not encourage you more to pick up this book and have it read when it comes out in the new year while we are being inundated with diet culture um, and pick up some really great tools of how we can help raise the next generation. So I hope you enjoy. Hello, Sumner. Welcome to the Nourish Circle podcast. Hi, Lori. I'm super happy to be here and chatting with you. I'm so excited to have you too. It's interesting. I um, have known you virtually and watched a lot of EDRD Pro um, webinars and stuff, but I don't think we've ever really sat down and talked before. So this is super exciting. It is. It's great. I know it's fun catching up a little bit um, this morning and getting to know you. Yeah. It's always so interesting to me the way I sometimes forget that I don't actually know people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that we kind of interact in social media ways or um, like through work stuff. And then I'm like, we don't, I've never actually met you. I, I always I laugh when I do this. <laughs> well, especially because so many of like when you get someone's email or, you know, we're in different shared Facebook groups and things when you're seeing their picture, like I'm seeing your picture multiple times, you know, whenever there's an interaction. And so it's, I think our brains are just having a hard time separating between who do we know in real life and who is a virtual contact. And I kind of like that. It's just all blended. Yeah, I do too. Um, Especially right now, we're still not out fully into the universe. And so it's kind of nice to feel like there's still a lot of people kind of around, even when Mm -hmm. there's not close contact. Um, so just before we get started, I always like to ask guests if they're um, open to sharing any privileges or identities before we get started, just to kind of ground our work a little bit. Sure. <clears throat> a little bit about me. Um, I'm a, a cisgender female. I have a graduate degree in public health. Um, I'm white. I'm able-bodied. I am married um, I have a lot of good family support. Um, I'm American. I'm born and raised in Portland, Oregon. Um, grew up here and lived in Southern California for about 15 years for school and then ended up moving back. Um, so that's some of me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Oregon is on my places to go. I have yet to been. My husband's been to Portland for work and he always just comes home raving about it and the food. <laughs> So it is on my places to visit at some point. So thank you so much. We for have some that. good food here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll also mention because we're going to be talking a lot about, you know, uh, weight inclusive approach and things. And I realize people can't see me. Um, so I do also live in a straight size body and benefit from thin privilege, um, which um, is important for folks to know because we all have our different lived experiences that form our beliefs and our approaches and, I just want to be transparent with people um, with that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, We are going to be talking about weight inclusive practice um, later today when we talk about your book, but I was just wondering if before we get started, maybe we could just do a little background on who is Sumner and how did we get here? (laughs) 
Sure. Sumner is, you know, actually that's really interesting. Um, I have been working a lot on not just identifying myself um, by like what I do for work. <laughs> yes, um, we do that. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've overworked for a few years um, because I love what I do. And I really love, um, I love our community of weight inclusive eating disorder dietitians. I really do. Um, and also I noticed that like, I'm more than just, you know, a registered dietitian. I'm more than just the founder of an online CE platform. Um, I'm more than just someone who serves clients. And so I, I think that the reason why this work matters so much to me is because it's shaped my life. So, um, in so many ways, right. I, I identify with my work so closely because I think it like kind of parallels inside of me, kind of the personal journey that I've been on, not just in work, but in, in my life, um, having struggled with disordered eating and binge eating from the time I was a, a pretty little kid to um, coming into a place where I felt more healed from that. Um, and then being able to really transition my career almost on the uh, after side of my own personal healing. Um, and I know that that's not really a unique story for a lot of us who are doing this work. Um, but of course, to me, that's huge. And it's it was um, really, a driving force, kind of that shift from living in a weight obsessed, weight centric world and thinking you're going to have a career doing that into completely flipping the script and learning so much and, and then wanting to help others um, learn and practice in a different way as well is really how I became inspired and passionate about starting EDRD Pro, which is um, an online learning space for dietitians. Mm -hmm. And it's just to give a tiny little plug for it. It's amazing. It's so it's such a breadth of work that you put out just different topics, the consultation tables, the weekly updates, like there's a lot of content that people can get and the different learning um, opportunities and courses. If anybody listening is an ED uh, dietitian and you are not part of this, I would strongly get you to check it out. It's very cool. Um, so much, so much learning. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so thank Thanks you for that. So much. No, you, it's incredible, but you have another project that is going to come into the world at the end of this year. Um, and that's basically what I wanted to talk to you, um, about today was the new book that you are co-authoring, um, called how to raise an intuitive eater. So, um, I, I was, I read it and I was thinking of all these questions. And it was one of those things where um, I was reading from a PDF. So I was writing on pieces of paper all around me. And then I was just like, there's, I could fill a documentary on questions that I have. So um, <laughs> I, I was first thinking if you could maybe um, give me a, a, perhaps a little bit about how the collaboration with Amy came up and um, just maybe why you felt this book needed to come into the world before we talk about details of the book. 
if that seems natural yeah, to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Um, I I love Amy Severson so much. And um, we've been working on this now for over two years. And it's a really exciting to be able to, to really see it come to life now and finish all these final edits and, and get people to start reading it and getting some feedback. So I'm so glad you were able to have some time with the PDF. Um, Amy and I, well, I knew of Amy. So she's in Washington, which isn't too far from where I'm based in Oregon. Um, so I knew she had a practice up there outside of Seattle. And um, I had met her in cyberspace, just like we were talking about for you and I and everyone, everyone else in our circle. Um, and then we went, we both went to a um, one day conference that Lindo Bacon was speaking at. And we ended up um, meeting finally in person and sitting next to each other. So kind of sharing that day um, and getting to know each other a little bit. And uh, just a couple months after that was really when I had had some conversations with Elise Resch, who's the original, uh, one of the co-authors of Intuitive Eating. She's been a mentor of mine and such a big part of my life. And we were chatting about um, the need for this book. And um, Elise was like, I think you should write this book. <laughs> <Summer."> <laughs> what and an I was like, I, I just immediately like shut the doors. No, because again, there I was in the midst of like, I'm already overworking. I'm already doing too much. I have two little kids. Um, now is the time for me to say no. <laughs> so I was like, no, absolutely not. And kind of laughed it off. And then it was a seed that was planted. Um, and it just didn't go away. And I would lay down at night and I'm like thinking of the book and I'm thinking of the chapters and I'm thinking, oh God, oh my God, I'm going to write a book. Um, so then I realized um, just the incredible value that Amy could bring in to this book and how amazing it would be to partner with her. She also has a daughter who's right around the same age as my daughter. Um, and just, you know, the vibe was there. And I thought, I think Amy, and Amy's a brilliant writer. She's just wonderful and so creative and so great to work with. And so I invited her if she was interested in joining me. And she said, yeah, let's do it. So we got to work on a proposal and the proposal itself took I don't know, quite a few months, but, um, but we, we just both really brought in, um, a lot of humility and a lot of, you know, care in making sure that we both showed up in the book. Um, and I think it ended up working out really well. So that's how it came to be. That's quite the origin story to have Elise Resch say, you should write this book. I probably would have passed out at that moment if I'm being totally honest. Um, and for me, when you were just speaking, the word care came up and care is something that definitely shows throughout the whole book. Um, even just in the beginning, as you lay out what the book is going to talk about and become, you do take a lot of care with parents and um, 
giving them space to not feel guilt for anything they may have done or felt or um, even just any personal experiences that they have because of the culture that we live in. And that, and the word care is something that really did come up with me is there was just so much care in the language um, that you use it, in the way you position the thoughts um, for the reader. There's even, you brought in social justice in the beginning, which again, I so appreciate how you, we can talk about these things, but we need to, there's systems and structures in place that do make this difficult. Um, it, it was just, so much care in that. And so I really appreciate that that was something that you went into um, it wanting to have. Um, so just, I don't want to give away the book because I really want people to buy it and read it. It is going to be a book that I, I feel will have lots of writing in it. Um, I am a pencil in the margins person and I suspect this will be a loved book where we'll see dog-eared pages and things to come back to and you will pick it up and reread it a couple of years. That's that's my feeling of this book. I'm already anticipating my second read, to be honest. Um, and so you frame it as a manifesto, not a guide. Um, and then you come up with three keys. And I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit to the decision to frame it more as a manifesto um, and, and then how these three keys came to be. That really means a lot. First of all, to hear you say that care is a word that um, showed up for you in reading it. Um, we had a lot of discussion around that we have no business telling people that we know what they need to do. We know how difficult parenting is. We know that parents want the best for their kids. And so finding a way to help inform parents and support parents without um, feeling like we are undermining their own wisdom um, and their own knowledge was something that was super important to us. Um, and that's, I mean, that's just the reality, you know, Amy and I are at home trying to feed our kids too. Yeah. <laughs> like we know there is no perfect. Um, so we didn't want to paint that picture that like, oh, like if you could only see inside our kitchen tables, you would just see the answers and, you know, no, that is not what we're saying. Uh, we really, we want people to have all, all the information, and I say like all in quotes, because we don't even have all the information. We're still learning about eating and psychology and eating disorders and the, you know, the complexity of, of how our experiences and our traumas and generational trauma and our environments all impact our children's health and the way that we make our feeding decisions. Um, so I'm just so glad that that is something that you could feel um, that we said, hey, like we want to share with you some things that we've learned and some of the, the science around these topics um, and then help you come to a place where you feel more solid in what you want to do and, mm -hmm. and hopefully a little more clear on the direction and the path that you want to set for your kids at home. Yep. 
Beautiful. It was, that was very well done. Um, and I, I really did feel that, that what we were doing is not perfect and you need to follow step A, B, and C to get this. Otherwise you failed. It was very, it's very, how does your life look and how does this fit? Um, and so with that, you came up with um, three overarching keys that kind of go through the whole whole book. Um, and I was just wondering if maybe you could speak a little bit to how you got to those three kind of key points and then how they frame the whole discussion moving forward. Yeah, um, the keys was really fun to come up with. I mean, we knew that we wanted a way to convey the information and just sort of have it organized in a way that was digestible and, um, and kind of simple, you know, I mean, these are actually incredibly um, complicated things, right, that we talk about in the book and a lot of our, our own, as parents, our own food beliefs and our histories and our own relationships with our bodies. And we talk about embodiment and, um, and a lot of stuff. And so we knew that if it was going to make sense to people, it needed to have some kind of an, an organizing. Um, I don't know, I'm a very visual person. So I really was going off of something that I could see and that could make sense to me, but that wasn't um, a hierarchy or a step-by-step -step linear process because the three keys all work together. They support each other. Um, and so, um, we, you know, that was a lot of kind of hashing out of all the ideas, like everything that we feel like um, we would find valuable, right, as parents um, going through this process, and then kind of categorizing them into, um, you know, themes, more or less. Um, and is it okay if I, can I talk about the keys? Sure. I don't yeah. feel, you know, I'm happy to, um, I don't, I, I'm happy to, I, I, I would love to hear them. <laughs> so the first key is to provide unconditional love and support for your child's body. Um, and I, and that one had to be, had to be kind of the, the main and the first introduced key, um, because no matter kind of what you do with food or what you serve or how you serve it, um, the relationship you have with your child and what they feel from you with regards to their body and with permission to eat. Um, I truly believe, and I think we really see it play out um, in, in other families is that that, that is uh, foundational to this work mm -hmm. is that sense that, that your child gets about, you know, your uh, acceptance or approval or love of them as a whole person, including their body. Mm -hmm. And parents are not at fault, but we live in this world um, where bodies are categorized and judged. And, um, and so it's only natural for parents to do that with their own children's bodies. Um, so that takes a big, you know, I think parents really have to pause there just with that one piece of it. Um, and, and really understand why that is um, such a main area of work before we even go into talking about the food. Yeah, and I can say in my practice, I see that all the time, as I'm sure you have, that it's 
the the child often feels that their body isn't loved in in that way and therefore they need to change it or um the relationship with it definitely gets um severed um and then parents will say but i haven't said anything and it's well how do you talk about your body and, and how do you talk about other bodies and how do they relate to those things and um i do find i personally spend a lot of time talking about stuff like that before I even get to so what's for dinner right um and mm -hmm. it, it, I do think we forget that relationship a lot and so it and that's it definitely stood out as being like key number one and this is this is where we start yeah yeah um and then so we have the other other two keys and one really is more kind of um almost more practical with um, the feeding side of things and the routine and structure. Um, we spend some time in the second half of the book going through the different developmental phases of, from birth through early adolescence um, and how that structure and routine um, and practical guidance does change throughout the year as your, as your child changes and grows. Um, and, but, but, but we know that parents have a lot of questions about that too. You know, we're not just um, with intuitive eating. Um, we know that it's a dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and thought, um, which is something we really try to also convey in the book and kind of demystify that intuitive eating is just eat what you want whenever you want. Um, you can, you know, we validate right from the beginning. Yeah, no parent's going to going to get on board with that, right? Because we know that kids are not um, set up to be successful or capable of getting their own food and getting what they need when they need it. So getting a little bit off track there, but um, we, we know that parents have, have questions around feeding and nutrition. And so we wanted to address those as well and how that fits into raising an intuitive eater and how that works with this philosophy that it's not nutrition doesn't matter and it's not um, either or, but it that really embracing this philosophy is an add on to thinking about nutrition um, and it's okay to think about nutrition, but we wanted them to have some accurate information and some mm -hmm. kind of, um, yeah, just more, more practical structure. And then that third one is develop and use your intuitive eating voice. And this one was a little tricky to think about and kind of boil it down into a key. But the way that we ended up thinking about it was, um, that our voice as parents, our, our voice and including our nonverbal language, but how we communicate with our kids is a huge part of this process as well. And so much of what we communicate about food and body is done verbally and also through other you know, nonverbal communication. But so we, we spend a lot of time talking about how are you talking to yourself? How are you talking to your kids? How are you talking about food? How are other people talking about food around your child? And we really help parents navigate some of the, um, like, what do I say when? Dot, mm -hmm. dot, dot kind of scenarios. Yeah. Um, and, and it's so interesting because having, you know, just the last 18, 19 months of um, pandemic, more kids and parents are eating together at home together. And I think a lot of things are being said and heard 
um, just more frequently, more consistently. And plus, I think with people feeling very out of control with what's going on around them, Mm -hmm. that's heightened as well. And so I think this book could not come out at a better time for people to kind of check back in with what's being said. Um, I know my eating disorder practice has tripled in the last six months, um, just with a lot of younger kids too. And a lot of, um, a lot of things that I was reading in your book, a certain clients popped in my head. I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. This lines up with this and this. And, um, and I'm just wondering if you could speak a little bit to how, how you hope the effects of this book have on future generations of eaters. I know that's a big lofty question, but I can see what I think. I hope it does, but I'm wondering what you hope it does. (laughs) Yeah. I I think to really step into that question, um, I think about myself and I think about all the kids that I've seen and adolescents that I've worked with um, and just how much is stolen from a young person when they have a a disordered relationship with food um, or they have a really difficult relationship with their body. Um, We know that this leads to isolation. It can be certainly connected to depression and cigarette smoking and substance use disorders, um, risky sexual behaviors, um, on and on and on. So, I mean, we know that these these connections are there um, and that there's more risk overall for a young person's well-being um, to suffer down the line um, if they don't have um, a sense of self-care with food and wanting to um, honor or at least take care of their own body. Mm-hmm. So my hope is that less young people will experience this interruption early in their life um, and that we just get more of them and we just get the people. <laughs> we mm-hmm. need them. We, we yeah. need this strong, incredible future. Um, and our kids certainly are our future and we don't need them being sidelined and distracted and suffering from something like this, that it really is not caused by diet culture, but influenced by diet culture. And with that, we don't blame parents at all. This is not a problem parents are causing, but we believe parents can kind of get on board and and become a force to help with protection and reducing risk. Um, And and parents are certainly so important and can be really powerful influence over what happens. And, And I do think that food is, how we eat mirrors our relationship to ourselves. So it's one of the very first ways that we can teach children um, that they're deserving and they're worthy and they have permission and and that they are good and inherently good. Um, We don't need to take that away from them. Yeah, I I know that's a, a lofty goal, but I do see that as a potential and I get point for, this next generation of kids growing up. I, I, I do notice it in my own household. We have, um, um, you know, open, more intuitive, I guess, conversations about food and eating. And when my children go somewhere else and then they come home, it's like, 
did you know that people count out the Doritos before they put them in a bowl? Why would they do that? And I'm like, and my youngest is like, you just hand us the bag. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> right. Like it's just, it's so interesting the way um, I, I find at least my children start to notice difference as opposed to accepting it all as truth or the way things should be, I guess, when they go out, they now go, oh, that's different than how we do it and have conversations about it and how it feels and things like that. So I even think that as much as I would love to wave my magic wand on the outside world, I think what we do in our homes does make a very big difference. And, and I think that's what you're speaking about is just even in the, the, the home unit, trying to create those conversations is really important. Yeah. Yeah. And we do, we acknowledge for sure, you know, this is not the solution to our problems, you know, um, it's, it's a piece of it. And I think it can make a difference for a lot of families. Mm -hmm. I think it can, if anything, just bring more peace and calm to the house, to the table, to wherever you're eating your meals. Um, and every little thing can make such a big difference to a young person, you know, just how they feel at the end of the day, um, what their first thoughts are when they wake up in the morning before school. You know, we know there are way too many kids who are just drowning in shame, you know, about their bodies and their appearance. And so it's not even so much as like, what are we kind of overtly doing and saying and teaching about food, it's more of like creating just this, this safe place for kids to be and to be themselves so that they can really flourish and they can feel supported. And that we're just not adding in this whole extra layer of problems and anxieties. Um, and for some that will truly turn into life-threatening eating disorders. And for many, it won't but it still will hold them back um, and, and keep them from maybe uh, a, a different kind of life or a different feeling in their life that they might mm -hmm. otherwise have. Yeah, I, I always think about what would you be doing if you weren't focused on food and eating and you know, planning out what you're gonna eat today or your exercise? Like what else would you spend your brain time on for lack of a better word? And I, I really think that your book gives the possibility of people having that life without knowing that they could have focused on food too much. Do you know what I mean? Like they just go into their, their hobbies and their joys and their passions without this back um, voice saying, no, 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 you don't look this way. No, no, you shouldn't eat this way. Right. Like, so I think that it just creates so much more potential for, to flourish into the life that you, you kind of are destined to, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of adults can um, relate to that. You know, I, it's certain it's not everyone, but, and we, we say in the book that, you know, if you didn't have these kind of negative or shameful experiences with food and body as a person or as a young person, you, you really experienced a level of protection in your life. Like that is a privilege. That is a huge benefit. It's a huge mental health and physical health benefit if you weren't um, kind of exposed to dieting and diet mentality or something more. Um, and I think, so, you know, you and I sit down with people one-on-one -on -one all the time and we hear 
things that people have never shared with anyone else before that are made a huge impact on them and their life and their health, um, but that they never had a chance to talk about because we don't talk about these things. No, we don't. So we really wanted parents to have a place to understand, like just to give some space to that um, and do do some healing of their own if they're ready and if, if they're willing, or if not, just kind of dip a toe in and learn a little bit about um, even just starting to think about it. You know, how, how does what happened to you show up in your relationship with your child mm-hmm. and letting them kind of explore that? I think that's so powerful. I often joke, I was born in 78. And so I lived through the 80s and the 90s. And I always say that I was like, in that in prime diet culture world. (laughs) Um, And I often joke that there's certain things that I think I still say and do that have been so ingrained because of living through, you know, Jane Fonda workout stage and low fat transition into Atkins phase, that I just it's just so there and it, because it was so embedded in the way everyone did everything around my house and my life and everything like that, that um, I often think about if I hadn't been born into that era, what would my thoughts be on this just growing up? Um, Mm -hmm. Because we are such a culture, especially now with social media and everything kind of swirling around all the time. um, We really do pick up a lot of those messages and they are everywhere. And we do really just react that way, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I have described it as, you know, these, these early beliefs that we, for the most part, we do get a lot of them from our primary caregivers. Um, It's like they're set in concrete really like when they are there and then they are repeated hundreds and thousands of times. Um, And for some of us, we'll never really feel like we're free of those rules or the shame or the judgment. Um, And so, you know, even for myself and my own journey, like I do think it's really important to um, to clarify that there's not a, there's not a place of, uh, this ending, that this is mm-hmm. an ongoing process. Um, and that the information we share in the book is, um, not meant to be like a how to book, like you're typically going to pick up. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the publisher chose the title of the book and, um, I think it gets the point across, but it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not a manual. And a lot of us are not going to end up in this place where all of that is just in the past and we've left it behind and we're perfectly, you know, cured of diet culture. Um, And it's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I always think being aware of where your thoughts are coming from is more important too. Um, that, oh, when I smell cabbage soup and I think, oh, weight loss, that's because my parents made cabbage soup like all the time when I was a kid and I could smell it walking home from school, <laughs> right? Like just to know things like that and how things come up. Um, was there, now this is just from a writing perspective because I am a person who loves writing. Um, what was your writing process 
just a random aside, I guess, from the book itself. Like, were you a sit quietly and write person or a music and coffee person? <clears throat> I, I really do need quiet for my brain to kind of expand and open up. Um, I, <laughs> I had to actually leave. I mean, we were writing this in 2020, so kids were home and yeah. online school and no babysitter, you know, I mean, it was incredibly, uh, it became really stressful actually. I so yeah. I am so grateful. I have uh, a friend who let me use her little cabin in the woods twice. And I was really supported by my family and my husband and I could go and I was alone. Um, and it was, you know, it was really cool what happened there when I had that much time alone to just really think, you know, like I could stay up as late as I needed to or get up as early as I needed to or right in that moment where if you're writing, you might relate to like, oh, it's, you know, you're getting something or you're on to something and mm -hmm. things are kind of flowing to just not be interrupted and to be able to do that was, I mean just the greatest gift ever. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, it was really a, a great experience and to be in a beautiful place and to be able to write. So that was a huge gift that helped. But Amy and I really, um, we structured out the entire book from the beginning, you know, every chapter then outlined every chapter. We, we knew what was going where. So um, I don't know if everybody writes that way, but that made it um, a lot smoother we knew where we were heading. Yeah. I was also thinking just co-authoring can be tricky, right? Because you, you do have to pound out all that stuff first, but then what if you're like, no, I don't like this structure, but I really like this structure it can happen. I'm sure that there was, um, just some, some, I not bumps, but just differences because of being different people. Yeah. Uh, so we really, um, complement each other well, because we have different, a kind of different strengths in the writing process. Um, but um, oh, I was going to say something there. I lost it. Um, oh, our biggest problem with writing it is we had told them a number of pages. You kind of has to have to estimate oh. like how big the book's going to be when you yeah. sign the contract. Um, and so we estimated, but we wrote a book twice as big oh <laughs> we were supposed to write <laughs> I mean we wrote so much and so we had to take a lot out and kind of pull things back quite a bit um so that was hard we had a lot more stories in there mm. um just a lot of content but I think and the editors did a fabulous job at kind of pulling out what needed to stay and so that was that was definitely a team effort that's funny. I'm sure when you first wrote the number, you're like, oh, this is a huge amount of pages. And then through the process, obviously wrote double. So there might be a part two someday. There Maybe. might be. There's a lot there. Yeah. It's hard to know, like at this point, what was cut and what wasn't. Mm -hmm. But we're really, I'm really pleased with it um, as a starting point for people. You know, it's now, it can be a resource that's there when people want it. Oh, and I, like I mentioned, I would recommend this book to anybody. I was thinking it might be my new go-to um, uh, baby shower gift because 
with a, a note to say, don't read in the first six months because your body can't retain any knowledge that you try to take in in that time. Um, <laughs> in my opinion, maybe, maybe even the first few years, I don't know, but um, it's, it's so beautifully written. It's so, I just resonated. There was so many moments of yes, yes, yes. I found myself saying out loud. Um, I would recommend anybody who's listening to find, um, you know, an independent bookstore in your area and order it up. Um, and if they aren't able, you know, you can go to the bigger ones too, um, and pre-order because I believe it comes out in December. Am I correct? January, January, Should be just early January. Yeah. So, you know, right after the holiday rush, when your brain is not going to want to remember to order anything, you're going to want to order it now so that it shows up in January and you're like, oh, so fabulous. The surprise I gave myself um, and just sit down and, oh, be immersed in something that just feels like a warm, cozy blanket when you read it. Like, yes, I can do these things. Yes, I'm OK as a parent. And yes, my child will eat. Um, those were the things that kind of resonated and my kids are older. My kids are 13 and 10. So I'm through a lot of the early feeding, um, phases. And there were still many things that were like, mm -hmm, we, we, we could try this. This is a thing we could talk about, or I could try this. Um, so honestly, I think you don't even have to have children to read it. It's, um, there's a lot of great stuff in this book. So I want to say thank you so much to you and Amy for putting it out in the universe. It is so beautiful and lovely. Um, if people are interested in finding you in the world, internet craziness, um, where can they find you and how could they connect? The easiest way is on Instagram and I'm at intuitive eating RD. Awesome. And I will put some links in the show notes for, um, at least pre-ordering in Canada. Um, and then um, hopefully everyone can grab their copy for January. So Sumner, Aww. I want to say thank you so much for coming today and talking about uh, this incredible resource. It's, yeah, it's phenomenal. So thank you so much for sharing with us a little bit about it today. Oh, Lori, thanks so much for your kind words. I love that you loved it. I really appreciate um, the support and helping us get the word out. Um, we feel that and, you know, we're, we're kind of first timers at this too. So we just are so grateful for the support of our community and others and you and everyone else and appreciate it a lot. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode.